the Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Today's edition of the Spot Track Podcast is presented by The Athletic. For sports fans, there's no better place to get breaking news, real time commentary, and powerful stories than The Athletic. Download the app, personalize it with your favorite teams and leagues, and get ad free exclusive content at your fingertips. For all of this and plenty more, visit theathletic.com slash spot track, S P O T R A C. For 40% off your first year subscription. Happy Monday. My name is Mike Gennetti. One day away from the franchise tag deadline in terms of uh, being able to designate your player with a franchise or transition tag. So I'm going to dive into the uh, minutiae, give you about eight players who I think are definitely getting one. We have one officially tagged. That's Kansas City. I'll get to that in a moment. So I'll open with franchise tags, a little bit of NFL talk, and then we're going to we're going to kind of double up on our Major League Baseball talk from last week because I loved it. Uh, I think some of you out there liked it a lot. We got some pretty good feedback on the piece we put together that kind of a correlates the NBA contract structure into Major League Baseball. Is it possible? No, it's never going to happen. But we had a ton of fun. Scott, Scott Allen and I had a ton of fun both talking about that, talking through that, and then actually putting it onto paper. So we're going we're gonna to kind of give you the results an outline of, of what our numbers look like. Some of them are shocking, but when you bake it all in and you understand what a 15-year career for a superstar in baseball should look like, I don't think this stuff is pretty crazy. So if you haven't read the piece, make sure you listen to the back end of the show because we have some numbers for a couple of these superstar players of what it could be like. And it's not damaging to teams and it's not damaging to the league. And I think it's, I think it's a really good system. It's not likely. It's not even possible in my opinion that baseball ever adopts something like this but the nba has it sitting right there anybody else can copy it and we bet basically what we did here with baseball all right franchise tags like i said tomorrow's the deadline to at least slap tag on a player on your current team some teams have i think one or two players that they're debating between i'd put tampa bay in that boat with carlton davis the cornerback and wide receiver chris godwin i'll get to godwin in a second here I believe that the Cowboys still aren't super sure if it's going to be Randy Gregory, the edge rusher, or tight end Dalton Schultz. Outside of that, I think most teams are pretty good. And like I said, I have eight to 10-ish players here that I want to get to quickly. I'll give you the tag value. I'll give you some thoughts. I'll give you what we have for an extension evaluation in our system. And then that's all I can tell you. I think there's a couple of players here, maybe, maybe three that could play this season on the franchise tag. And that's a big deal. The first one, by the way, Orlando Brown Jr. You know, Kansas City can open up $70, $80 million of cap space with some cuts and some restructures. They've started that process already with Anthony Hitchens. They're going to extend Tyreek Hill in the next maybe one or two days, in my opinion. And some of this wide receiver talk has me thinking they're going after a, a legit WR2 here. You know, is it Cooper? Is it, is it a Beasley-type player? I mean, probably not so much that. They probably need a big wide receiver, but there, there's going to be some options out there that the Chiefs may just have to say, look, we, we spent last year on our offensive line. We did the dirty work last year. Now we got to give Patrick Mahomes some more steady, consistent, reliable weapon. And that's crazy because you have Kelsey and Hill, and you know Clyde Edwards should be that player. Maybe, maybe he blossoms into that this year. But I do think it's, it's a fun new toy time 
on the offensive side of the ball for Kansas City. They're going to have to replace Tyron Matthew. It sounds like he's walking. And there's going to be, you know, San Francisco, Baltimore. There's going to be teams, good teams out there ready to pay, overpay, even at his age and with his bit of decline. That's a hell of a player somebody's going to get. So I think that's a big casualty to this Kansas City process. But my point in saying, saying this is, I don't think it's a slam dunk that Orlando Brown Jr., their left tackle, gets this big extension that we're projecting him to. He's been he's officially been offered the $16.5 million tag. By the way, all these tag values are still projections because the NFL has not come out and said this is exactly what it's going to be. So we're going off our math. $16.5 million tag is slapped on him right now. You know, that, was, that had to happen. Because if you don't remember, this is the trade. The Chiefs acquired Brown, a second-round pick and a sixth-round pick from Baltimore, in exchange for a first, a third, and a fourth. Basically three top 100, you know, give or take. So it's not the biggest trade we've seen. You know, the Jamal Adams trade was way bigger. The, the Jalen Ramsey trade was way bigger. Certainly the Stafford trade was bigger. Uh, the Laramie Tunzel trade was bigger, Miami and Houston. But this is right there. This is like tier two of massive trades for players of, you know, young players at prime positions. So they, they couldn't just let him walk after a year. That's for damn sure. So the tag was coming no matter what. But we project him to five years, $116.5 million. Largest total value, largest average salary in OL history. That shouldn't surprise you. He's young. He's talented. I'm not sure he's a left tackle. <laughs> uh, I think he's better served on the right side, but that's the reason he's on the, on the Chiefs in the first place. They needed a left tackle. He did not want to play right tackle anymore. And Baltimore obviously had Ronnie Stanley and a good offensive line that needed a right side. And that's what Brown was doing well there. So this is kind of a manufactured script. He's got a good home, that's for sure. And he may have a very, very, very big bank account soon. But I think it's possible at least that Kansas City says, we're not going to rip this bandit off. We're going to restructure. We're going to fill this tag in. We're going to ask you nicely kindly to play on this franchise tag in 2022 so that we can, like I said, bring in some toys from a homes. And I think it's possible that's where we're headed here. I wouldn't say it's likely, but it's possible. What's not possible, in my opinion, is that Devontae Adams plays on his franchise tag. They're trying like hell not to have to tag him in the next 24 hours. I promise you that because they don't want to have to take on the $20.1 million hit. It is a placeholder hit until March 16th, but you have to account for it. It's on the books. Okay, It's not an actual contract until Devonta Adams sign it. But the second they offer the franchise tag, that 20.1 has to be accounted for. There's no penalty until March 16th, 4 p.m. You know, for being over. But you know, they're still well under, well under the, uh, the threshold. They have to, to clear cap space, whether it's Rodgers, whether it's Sedarius Smith. You know, and we've gone through those options before, but Tomorrow's the deadline to keep this guy off the open market without an extension. And it doesn't sound like the extension stuff is going well at all. And I can understand that. You're, you're nine days away from free agency. Any former agent, you know, and I've talked to enough of them, is going to tell you that the extension has to be phenomenal at this point. Like, it's got to blow us out of the water, whether it's front-loaded, whether it's just, it's so high and strong and well-structured with early guarantees and, you know, guarantee mechanisms that we just couldn't pass it up because we're never going to replicate that contract on the open market. But if it's not, if you're just kind of flatlining the, your offer at this point, no agent's going to touch it. 
when the, with the opportunity to be able to go to talk to every other team in seven days, right? March 14th is that kind of negotiation window. Every agent wants to get to that point. So you got to blow them out of the water. You're going to have to offer the 30 a year, the, the 75 fully guaranteed at signing, all that fun stuff, just to get, in my opinion, him to pick up the phone right now. So I wouldn't be banking on the extension over the next nine days, which means I'd have to do the tag. You can make the cap work. We've, we've said that a million times. I've written the article. You can make the cap work. And I don't, want, I don't want to let this guy walk. With that said, the complications with this situation obviously stem back to the quarterback. It's not an accident that Aaron Rodgers' deadline for announcing his future is March 8th, tomorrow. I mean, it's, it's directly correlated with the franchise tag window, which is what we're... I mean, we're going to know everything tomorrow. We're going to know Devontae Adams' future. We're going to know Aaron Rodgers' future, most likely. And like I've been kind of haphazardly saying all along, I, I think these two are tied at the hip. I don't know why they wouldn't be. It, it seems weird that they wouldn't be. Now, you can go out and find a, a good wide receiver, and Denver's got plenty of them. But this guy's great, and he's still great. Like, he's worth that extra couple million. He's worth that extra guarantee. He's proved it over and over again. So I, I think these two are attached to the hip. To me, that's what this March 8th deadline is saying out loud. I stay, you stay. I go, you go. I'm not necessarily saying that they both go to Denver. You know, maybe one goes to the Raiders, one goes to Denver. You know how this can work. But I do think that we're going to know a hell of a lot about the Packers situation by this time tomorrow. And my assessment is it's going to come with a $20 million tag for, for Adams, regardless, even if Rogers gets in front of a microphone or on the Pat McAfee show tomorrow and says, it's been a hell of a good, what, 15 years or so, but I'm going to move on. Uh, and I'm going to work with the, the great folks in green Bay to facilitate the right trade for me. And for them, I think he's going to say all the right things. Even if he does that, you have to tag Devonte Adams and then trade him. You got to get compensation back. Now, I don't think an offer sheet's coming. I don't think two firsts are coming for Devontae Adams at his, at his age, knowing what, the, what kind of money you have to pay him on the backside of it. But it's extremely possible that, you know, a team offers a first and a fourth or, or whatever to get him out of Green Bay, and Green Bay will have to move on because that's just the deal you want to take. You want to get value for him at this point. And you want to keep him and let Jordan Love kind of work with him, I would imagine. But to me, no matter what Rodgers says tomorrow, I'm slapping that $20 million tag on Devontae Adams so I have something to hold on to so that I'm getting a bunch of picks for Rodgers if, if his answer is no, and then I'm getting a couple of more picks for Adams, and I can really replenish our pool from 2022 to 2025 and make this thing work, even if Jordan Love doesn't work out, right? I can at least rebuild our offensive line and our defensive line and and some of those important pieces that you want to do before you get that next quarterback anyway. So I, I don't think the Packers situation is as dire. You know, they're not, obviously without Rodgers, they're not going to be an NFC contender with Jordan Love. That's, I don't think anybody's saying that out loud at this point. But it's business. To me, putting the $20 million tag on him is good business. Even if he sticks on it, which to me is the least likely scenario. You know, even if he sticks on that and decides to play, you know, I guess the worst thing that can happen is he isn't traded. 
He refuses to sign, and he holds out, and you don't have to pay him that money. He just forfeits it like Le'Veon Bell did back in Pittsburgh. You know, that's not... We want Devontae Adams playing somewhere. So I guess that is the worst-case scenario. But in my opinion, regardless of what Rodgers says tomorrow, I'm tagging him at $20 million. Chris Godwin, completely different scenario. Obviously, with the torn ACL, MCL, a lot of things got thrown off track last January. Uh, the second tag for him is about 19.1. Tampa Bay doesn't have the space. You know, they will once Brady's Brady and Marpet's retirement process in June 2nd. You know, he projects to over 100, five for 103 right now in our system. But I don't know. That's a tough injury to come back for. And by the way, I, I don't believe he'll be back until right at week one, maybe week two with any kind of work. I mean, his recovery aligns. It's going to take all summer to really get himself back to full strength. You may see him do some light workouts maybe in August. But there's no football activities, in my opinion, until September. So is that going to scare a team off? You know, the Bears, the, the Ravens, one of these teams that I think is really pushing hard for a, a legitimate wide receiver option. It's possible that it scares them off. We've seen injuries that don't, just don't matter on the open market, you know. But it's possible that a one-year deal is exactly right, whether it's here or somewhere else. You know, maybe it's a Juju Smith-Schuster situation. Um, I'd like to see the guy get paid personally. I don't believe he gets this extension in Tampa Bay. I think they will tag him a second time and say, we want you here for one more time. We think $19 million is a fair price to let you recover and then come out and play some ball for us in 2022. That's going to be tough for him to swallow because he knows this is his prime time to cash in. But I think it's very possible. I, I, I do believe I'm reading the tea leaves properly that we're headed towards the second tag. So I expect in the next 24 hours, Godwin to get this $19 million tag and then I guess we'll see from there. I don't, I don't anticipate the multi-year extension for Tampa Bay, but for cap purposes, they may have to do it. So there's that, there's that angle as well. Uh, last wide receiver, Mike Williams. This feels like Godwin last year. So the tag is 18 and a half. The Chargers do have a ton of cap space. You know, one, they're one of the cap-friendliest teams in the league right now, and they're a damn good team up there with Cincinnati in terms of cap space versus contention window. So. It's a five-year, $90 million projection right now in our system, which isn't damaging. He probably wants $20 million more, you know, a year. Uh, he may be able to get that in the open market. He may be able to get that with Los Angeles, just to stick you know, him and Keenan Allen around for the long run here. It does feel like the tag is the right move for 2022, but I'm going to say, I'm going to put this out there. Because they have the cap space, I'm going to have the Chargers play in San Francisco here and put them on a five-year contract but structure it so that it looks, acts, and feels, and smells like a double tag. So if the tag is 18 and a half this year, right, then 120% of that is essentially 22 next year. So that's it. It, it, it. It's a two for what, 40 million, you know, essentially 40 million contract that I'm baking in all the front loaded, whether that's a signing bonus, whether that's a big roster bonus this year, you have the cap space to work with. And I hate teams with cap space going out there and adding 11 free agents. To me, that's the wrong way to build right now. But you can structure this contract so that you eat a ton of that cap and cash early to make him happy, by the way, so that this thing is basically a tag this year, a tag next year, and then a potential outline that's as thick and black as possible. So it looks like, it, it looks like a double tag. It looks like a franchise tag still on paper. But now you can play with the cap as, as you need. 
you know? And then by the way, if he's great, if this continues to work out, especially with that quarterback, now years three, four, and five of that contract are in your favor from Los Angeles standpoint. You're getting value at least in year three. You know, he may be really pissed off in year four and require a redo, but you've now taken the lump, taken the chunk. This is Garoppolo, by the way. This is what they did with Garoppolo and a couple other contracts in San Francisco. I think this is the right move. You know, if you feel like he is going to be disgruntled with that tag, and it's possible, he played well the past 18 months, then this is the move. Build in a contract that looks and smells like a tag for your purposes and then gives you a ton of value in year three when you maybe need to go get another wide receiver, an offensive lineman, some, some kind of big contract that needs to stick in. Oh, no, by the way, an extension for Justin Herbert. So uh, I think that's the right play here. Tight ends. Gasecki's getting the tag. Uh, he's going to gripe that he's a wide receiver because of his all 22 formations. You know, I've heard this quite a bit. I don't believe that's going to get, you know, hold any fruition, but it's a huge difference. It's an $11 million tag for a tight end. It's 18 and a half for a wide receiver. So they may at least contend it and try to go to arbitration with that. I don't think that's going to happen. He projects to 11 million, four for 44. I, I think Miami probably gives him the contract, maybe a, probably a bigger contract, more like a Hunter Henry contract. But I think that's wrong. To me, Miami has an identity problem, especially from the quarterback down. Uh, you know, they're going to do right by Xavier Howard, which I believe in. I think you can continue to build your defense properly here. But I don't think I'm investing too much multi-year into, into anything on that offensive side of the ball. Until I know the Tua situation, until I'm comfortable with any of the other options. You know, Gusecki is really the only option I'm comfortable with. Well, Jalen Waddell, of course, is, is good value right now. I wouldn't just I wouldn't push out years if I don't have to, and I think I can get away with eleven million for one year for Gasicki. That's my point. Dalton Schultz, similar. Uh, he's a slam dunk for a, a multi-year if he hits the open market. We've got him at four for fifty, almost fifty-one million. So basically, the Hunter Henry contract. He's going to get tagged by Dallas, in my opinion. I, I don't believe it'll be Randy Gregory. I believe it'll be Dalton Schultz, and. For a while, it was, oh, they're just going to cut Blake Jarwin. But Jarwin's not healthy. He's not healthy. Now, they may still move on from him. But there's a chance they just shelve Blake Jarwin on, a, on an injury list all offseason, kind of keep themselves at bay, and then bring him back into the fold. So if that's the case, maybe they don't extend him, Dalton Schultz. Maybe they want to see what the Jarwin-Schultz situation looks like, and they'll take the $11 million hit, which is difficult for Dallas. Dallas is over. Dallas is the third worst healthy team cap-wise right now. Um, so they need to move some things around. Demarcus Lawrence may be that cap casualty, of course. But I, I think there's a dynamic where they're trying to subtract contracts, not add to, to this degree. If it's Demarcus Lawrence this year, it's going to be Zeke next year. And it's Amari Cooper this year, by the way. They're trying to sneak a Gallup contract in here under, under the uh, threshold. I think the tag is for sure coming to Schultz, but I'm interested to see how they handle the multi-year. If they do it this year, if they wait until next year, if they double tag him first and then do the contract extension, or if they simply let him walk, which I think is the wrong move. I don't think the uh, competitor draft pick is enough for a player that has shown he wants to catch 60, 70 balls for you. But the Jarwin stuff kind of throws a wrench in that. All right, three defense, two defensive players. Harold Landry, Tennessee, the linebacker. Kind of came out of nowhere here. Had a monster 2021 season. It feels Shaq Barrett 
which means, in my opinion, the $18.5 million tag is correct. The $18 million per year contract would be correct too. Tennessee does not have, they're not healthy cap wise. You know, they'd have to restructure two or three guys and possibly move on from one or two. I know the left tackle, Taylor Lamont, has been rumored to be one of those cap casualties. That's a big enchilada to take on, especially with a questionable quarterback playing Tannehill. But it's possible that they simply say that we can't handle the $18.5 million cap. We're just going to extend this guy. I'd, I'd be okay with that. I, I, I believe in that. You know, that's the Bud Dupree contract, which is ugly right now. I, I think it's the right move. You know, it's not like this is a, a, a non-prime position. And it seems like this player has gelled well with that defensive side of the ball. So if you're moving on from Dupree after 2022 anyway, then just slot this guy in and, you know, push things out, maybe make it a, a second year option bonus, take less of a cash cap hit this year and ramp yourself up for 2023 with Harold Landry, financially speaking, but put him right on the multi-year extension, maybe in the next 24 hours so that you have total flexibility over that contract. I'd be voting for that if I'm in Tennessee's camp right now. Jesse Bates, there's a $13 million tag in terms of safeties. Cincinnati is flush with cap space. They are not generally big spenders, even with their own players, actually, especially with their own players. Here's the pitch I'd be giving Jesse Bates camp, and he won't like it because 18 months ago, he was primed to be the highest paid safety in the history of football. He had a down 10 months and then came back roaring like a lion the end of the season through the postseason into the Super Bowl. I mean, he was vital to that roster. And he has been multiple times over the past four years. So the $13 million tag is coming. The five-year $75 million extension that we project him to it should come. He's, he des- he's deserving of it. But this is Kansas City 2020 is where we are here with this team. They have to rebuild that offensive line almost entirely. You know, maybe Jonah Williams sticks on the left. Other than that, I would expect drastic changes from every angle. Trade, free agent, draft. Drastic. And that's going to cost assets and, and cash. And like I said, since he's not a cash, <laughs> you know, flourishing they have it. They just don't like to spend it. Let me put it that way. I'm trying to say this nicely. So if their thinking is we are focused solely on this, on the offensive line, and by the way, it's a good thing to be saying out loud and to players and to agents, then the pitch to Jesse Bates is you're getting a significant raise to $13 million this year. We need you to stick on that. And while we fix a very important part of our offense to protect your quarterback, and then this time next year, if it's a second tag, fine, but there will be an extension forthcoming. There will be an extension forthcoming. It's that wink, wink promise that we've seen so many franchises try to do. Most are not successful in doing. I think there's real clout and, and reputation building here, and they have to back it up. And they should just pay them. My opinion is they should just pay them, the extension. But if they, if they have to say, we can only do one, not the other this offseason, then I think I can understand and get myself around. We're going to rebuild the OL on the fly. We're going to tag you, give you the raise, and I promise you're in the 2023 plan. It's possible that's the case. One last scenario, uh, and it's running backs, believe it or not. The Arizona Cardinals have two running backs about to hit the open market. Very important players, James Conner, Chase Edmonds. The injury stuff's been there, uh, certainly with Conner over the year, but Conner was phenomenal for a good stretch of 2021. He, he kind of revert, reverted back to that two years ago with Pittsburgh when 
we thought this guy was going to be Pittsburgh's running back for the next 15 years. It just seemed like the, the marriage was there. And then the injury, and then Pittsburgh doesn't extend, and you know how that works. They're happy. They got their guy in the draft. But I think, I've read, I've heard, I believe Arizona wants both these guys back. That's easier said than done. If you think about Cleveland with Nick Chubb and, and uh, Kareem Hunt, you know, Chubb got 12, Hunt got six. I don't know if that's the case here. You know, I don't think I don't think either of these guys is a twelve million dollar running back, but are they both eights? Maybe is are they both sixes? But well guaranteed through two years, possibly. That's just where this position is going. My point in bringing this up is, it's very possible that Arizona decides with one, we're going to slap the transition tag on you. It's about eight and a half million. It's about exactly the same it was when they did this with Kenyon Drake two years ago, which I thought was successful. So. Do they pick one? Do you put it on Connor and say, we're going to transition tag Connor. Nobody's going to offer sheet James Connor. We're not worried about that. And then we'll try to come in slightly below that on a multi-year, maybe a two to three year with Edmonds and take the risk on him because he's been less impacted with injuries, maybe a little bit more reliable. I think this is probably good business. Now, the $8.5 million tag for Connor, that stinks because Arizona's tough right now, cap-wise. Everybody's tough. But the, you know, the good teams generally are all right up against it. So there's going to have to be some wiggle room built out. It's possible. But I, I, I believe I like this format. You know, if they're going to lose Christian Kirk, A.J. Green, I, you know, they're going to be relying a hell of a lot on Hopkins and, and Rondell Moore and some of these youngsters behind Hopkins. By the way, Zach Ertz out. Max Williams is still TBD. There's a ton of passing options about to walk out the door. So solidifying the run game, I think makes a hell of a lot of sense here. A ton of sense. And I don't think, like I said, it's a, it's a chub and hunt situation, financially speaking. I don't think it's that drastic. So this is kind of a, slot, a slid down version of that. Eight and a half and six, something like that. I think that's about right. So let's keep an eye out for Arizona with what they do with all their weapons. Because like I said, there's a lot of uh, low-hanging fruit here. But specifically with these running backs, they've shown that they, they will tag in the past and I wonder if that's the case here in the next 24 hours. Talk some baseball with Scott Allen. All right, Scott. I gave you some homework last week. You came through with flying colors. This was a fun piece. I really enjoyed this. So even if eight people read this or watched the video or whatever, um, I felt it was important to kind of follow up on it a little bit because there's a lot of data. There's a lot of numbers. Uh, we put a lot of effort into the NBA to MLB crossover in terms of these contract structures. And I think what we found out is the numbers look crazy, but not over the span of a career, which is what we've done here. So we took Garrett Cole, Juan Soto, and Max Scherzer, I think three good candidates for this, this process. And in, in Cole and Scherzer's case, we refactored their, current, their recently signed contracts based on NBA standards. And then we continued on with what their next contract would look like. And in, in Cole's case, basically brought him to what, age 37, 38? At that point, you're kind of spit, you know, spitballing, similar to the NBA. We, we don't really know what guys do at that age, financially speaking, until we get there. But with Soto, Scott, and I want to start there, because he's still in pre-arb mode, basically, and he just had a huge offer thrown his way by the Nationals, we were able to project three contracts for him. Basically, his entire financial career, his rookie extension, 
his big, his big extension after that, and then a final big extension. So just to recap, and I'll, I'll let you kind of take the path here. The way that we did this was almost verbatim to NBA rules, which is if you're staying with your team, you can go five years. If you're leaving, that becomes four. And you start with a, set, a salary that is as a percentage of the league threshold, the, the CBT threshold. And that percentage changes based on how, how many years of service you have. So zero to six, seven to nine, or 10 plus years of service. From there, that start, starting salary is increased a, a, a percentage point. In the NBA, it's 5% or 8% based on experience. For this, with, the, with Major League Baseball, we kind of uh, prorated everything down because larger rosters, more, up more games, all that good stuff. Um, so that's two to, two to five, am I correct? Yeah, two to five. Two to five. So eight to five became five to two in terms of the increase of salary. So everything's really robotically structured here. There's a percentage starting salary. There's a percentage increase for the next three or four salaries. And we were able to put legitimate actual numbers into Juan Soto's entire future. You know what I mean? Which is something you're able to do with Zion Williamson, with Luka Doncic. You know what I mean? It's something you yep. do on a regular basis to the point of where if you go to Zion Williamson's page on Track right now, Scott, you have his exact extension, you know, estimated for, for current cap sitting on his page. It's there on a, on a potential extension line. I mean, that's how forward thinking NBA financials are, which is why it's possible to do this with Major League Baseball. We can just kind of copy and paste and adjust like we did here. And, and go ahead. Let's start with Juan Soto. Explain to me, if I'm telling you Washington just offered him 13 years, $350 million, and he basically laughed at that you know, Scott Boris as his, his microphone, explain to me what an NBA style system would do to Juan Soto over the next 15 years. Well, it would get closer to what uh, his agent would want in 500 plus million dollars for, for Juan Soto for yeah, sure. And then some. Um, and, and- and we, we had to go two paths with Juan Soto here. We had to go the traditional path is what we're calling it. And then the supermax path, similar to what Luka Doncic has hit, where he had that rookie scale contract, but then he triggered that supermax, which took him from 25 up to 30%. Yeah, we're okay. so, you're right. I forgot, to, I forgot to kind of proceed with that. So when we talk about these years of service thresholds, and we're talking about a rookie extension, which is what Juan Soto is looking at. His first year percentage, the starting salary of his next contract, in our opinion, based on our structure, would be 12% of the CBT. Then, once he had seven years of service, it would become 16% of the CBT. And then anyone 10 years plus, 20% of the CBT. But what, what Scott's saying here, and this is something the NBA adopted not too long ago, is, all right, but we got these superstars that even if they have seven years of service, th- there's no way they should, be, they should only be making 16% of, the, of the, the league cap. You know, We've got guys who are really pissed off with what they're making because everything's mathematical. This is where they belong. They're slotted into seven years of service. So they created this supermax policy where basically if you're an all-pro or an MVP or a defensive player of the year or you know, some of the major, major award winners, you can jump up and basically skip a percentage tier. So even though you're seven years of service, you can go and get that 
in, a, in our baseball structure here and essentially cash in more than any of your colleagues did because of your accolades, because you're an MVP candidate, because you win batting titles, things like that. And you know, we didn't really lay out the groundwork, Scott, but I imagine those kind of things would be part of it, right? The all MLB team, right? Two years in a row, certainly an MVP, maybe a World Series MVP, a batting title, something like that. Um, and maybe a combined war score. But Which is no different than what is sort of being proposed with the pre-arb stuff that's with right. adding in war metric. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So, that, so they're front-loading that money basically into an annual bonus. But what we're saying is, if this contract structure was already built in, you'd simply be skipping a step. You'd be raising your contract 4% right out of the gate because you're the league MVP heading right. into your third contract. So, so having said that, I, I, I want to assume for, for this, this show here, Scott, that Juan Soto is a super max player. Okay. Okay. Because I yep. think, I think there's, he's going to win batting titles. I don't know about MVPs, but he's going to win batting titles and he's going to be all, all MLB maybe indefinitely. So, um, so what is his rookie extension possibly this year? You know, we, we, we assumed it to start in 2022. What would that look like based on 12% of the CBT? Yeah. So we had to go three, three ways. We went a soft max, a flat max, hard max. So the soft max was decreasing by 5% of that first year. Flat max is it's a straight $26.4 million straight across five years. And then a hard max was increasing the salary 5% based on that first year. So it ranges from $118 million all the way up to $145 million over the five years, depending on what path you would take. So $29 million a year. The, the, the hard max, the, the tip-top increasing salaries tip max, yep. five for $145, million a year. That's not an AAV that should scare any team off. No, for not a, at all. For a 24-year-old player. You know what I mean? I, to me, that's the best part of this, is that he's got a five-year contract, which gives him control. He's getting $145 million fully guaranteed, and it's only a $29 million AAV to the team. I, this is successful so far. So now take us into Supermax land, okay? Because the third contract's where things start to get fun. Yeah, so jumping up to the Supermax, we'll stay with the hard max where he gets the increasing salaries. That jumps up to a five-year, $257 million contract with an AAV of just over 50. Right, and that's, but that starts in 2027. Right. So assuming that the CBT is going to increase at some sort of rate, and by the way, we did, you know, we kind of put that in, and that's obviously TBD based on these negotiations that are happening as we speak. But you know, a fifty million AAV is nuts right now. It's nuts, but in twenty twenty seven, it shouldn't be nuts. By the way, Max Scherzer, right now, today, as we live and breathe, accounts for forty three point three million to the to the New York Mets over the next three seasons. That's his tax salary. It's done. The contract is signed. So, and that's a player who only plays 30, 30 games a year. That's a, that's a starting pitcher. Tons of worth and value. He deserves it. But I'm saying the Mets were willing to give 43.3 on their tax to a starting pitcher. So in 2027, it shouldn't be crazy that the Nationals give 50.3 million to their best player, a guy who plays 155 games a year. Am I incorrect? No, you're not incorrect, especially if the projections of his production continue on the path that they're going. I think that could be a value. <laughs> right. I agree. All right. So we're in super max land. So he's got a, a five for one forty five, then a five for two fifty seven, 
So now what happens in 2032, assuming he's, you know, at this point, he's already at 10 years of service, you know, he's, right. he's, he's already been super maxed previously. So what does that last 2032 five-year contract look like, Scott? F- five years, $324 million with an AAV of un, uh, just over $63 million. And that, and that had to have, his starting salary with that had to go up higher than what the original max for that projected CBT that we had at 105% based off the NBA rules because he's already over the max at that point. So he gets a slight bump in addition to that. So in my opinion, and I think you'd agree with me, this is where it gets a little bit out of its skis. Yes. This is where things get probably too big because he's, you know, he's 35, 34 at this point, if we're projecting forward. Is he 23 now, Scott? Uh, I believe he's 22. Okay. So that means he'd be 33. So, okay. That's not even crazy. All right. (laughs) He still may be in his prime at 33, uh, but there's no way to project that with baseball players. So 2032, a five years, you know, 324, that's probably crazy. But that's why we adopted this three-tier system. So this is the hard max number, which is the starting salary is 20% of the, of the league threshold with 5% increasing salaries there out. That's the hard max. The flat max, Scott, and this has been popular now over the past couple of years, is we get that 20% threshold, but every salary is exactly the same. It's that, it's that tax salary. So every year would be $58.9 million for, for Juan Soto. Five years, $294, million a year. Probably still too high for a 33-year-old. So this is where the soft max comes in. And by the way, these are options the team would have if they want to continue on with max contracts. By the way, just like the NBA, you don't have to max a player out. You know what I mean? Kevin Durant has often taken less than the max. Kyrie Irving, less than the max, just for certain purposes. But the soft max in this case, Scott, would be five years, 265, which is seven, you know, 60 million less than the hard max. You understand? So just by saying, all right, you're getting older, you're, you're going to start to decline once you hit 34, 35. That's just natural. So we'll start you with the big salary, but we're going to decrease you 5% from there. So it's considerably less. It's a tax salary that's $54 million, which is basically exactly what it was the last five-year contract, $54.6 million. So he stays basically tax neutral heading into his final contract, decreasing salaries, still guarantees him two sixty-five over five years. That's a lot of enchilada, man. I mean, we're talking... It is. Give us the the, the range of of, contra- of of salary over the 15-year span here for Juan Soto that we're kind of projecting. Yeah, so we're talking with the Supermax, it would be a range of 15 years, $595 million, all the way up to 15 years, $727 million. Right. I mean, and that's nuts. You know, no player in baseball it is, is but- worth $727. We can just say that out loud. But the fact that it's possible, the fact that, that there's a mathematical way to get to that point, you know what I mean? Like, like if a player really is this great, you know, Mike Trout has been this great, but the injuries probably hold him back from, from financial worth. Also, his 15-year contract holds him back because there's no way for him to restructure it. He is right. what he is now for the rest of his career, basically. And that's what we're trying to get out of. That's the whole damn point here is we got to get out of these 15-year contracts that are satisfying the AAV and the tax salary for CBT purposes. We got to get out of this. It's, it's making the league so freaking boring, but this is not boring. If, if Juan Soto was up for a contract every five years, 
which means we'd be talking about it every three to four years, you know, preceding the next contract. Is he, is he a max player still? Is he a super max player? This shit matters. Like, this is what Twitter's talking about in the NBA constantly, 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 mm-hmm. as you know. Um, baseball has none of this. Mike Trout signs, Bryce Harper signs, and they go away until they make a highlight on Sports Center. That's it. They go away. There's nothing to feed the animal, which is what we've done here. Every four to five years, and we'll get to Garrett Cole next, which has a different variation because he left his current team. There's intrigue. There's what if. There's, there's is, he, is he this top level max? Should we hard max Juan Soto? Should we soft max Juan Soto? We've built in these new kind of uh, variables that I think even add more intrigue. Don't you agree? Oh, absolutely. And going back to our conversation last week with player salaries and how they're declining, this would gradually help increase the salaries if you were using these right. uh, th- this structure, for, at least from the upper level standpoint. Yes, you could flat max, but if you're having multiple players on contracts of four or five years, then it's forcing every four or five years span to increase salaries if you're going to give them the max and you feel that they're the max. It's just going to help overall. But the other thing, and I bet you have some NBA uh, you know, thoughts in mind when I say this, is there's now this thing. There's, there's now this thing that's out there that front offices can look at, right? If Juan Soto's maximum contract right now was five years, $145 million, it, it's in the CBA. It, it says verbatim, this is how this is calculated, which means this is exactly the, the, the number, and these are the exact five salaries. Now the Nationals have this thing that they could look at, and they can just basically eye test it and say, is this player worth that? You know what I mean? And they can do all the analytics and all the projection work that we do a lot behind the scenes as well to get themselves to a yes or no answer. But right now, there's nothing. It's just, you know, well, is, is Juan Soto Mike Trout? That's the, that's the barometer. Is Juan Soto Bryce Harper, Francisco Lindor? It's just these other contracts that exist that are all spread out differently, all look and smell different. You know, Christian Yelich looks different than... It's just all over the place. It's all randomness. And every team has to kind of fend for themselves with their own players from a financial perspective, which is, you know, fun, I'm sure, from an agent and, and front office standpoint to go back and forth. But when there's this thing that's out there, this maximum ceiling, it's very easy just to say, is, it, is that guy there? And every agent's going to say yes, but front offices now can say yes or no, and they can slowly come down from there versus you know, starting at the bottom and trying to meet in the middle at 18 million. You know what I mean? If it's, Kevin Durant has always gone slightly under that threshold, and maybe that makes him look good. Maybe that helps his team out. It obviously helps the amount of max contracts that a team can carry around him. But I just think having a ceiling in terms of the contract has got to be helpful. Don't, don't you agree that that has helped progress other NBA contracts forward? Oh, absolutely. And I think from a standpoint from the front office, looking at and knowing, well, the, the most I can give you is four or five years on a max. And I know I'm just going to have to recycle after that to, to a new contract is probably less daunting than looking at a contract that is 15 years and trying to project, all right, in year 15, what are you going to look like? What is Bryce Harper going to look like at the end of that contract? Are we going to have to try to move on from him or are we stuck with it? At least they know in their minds, they have an out after four or five years if 
the contract doesn't work out. And Otherwise, by the, and by the way, anybody here griping about the average salaries and saying teams would never do this, you got to stop because 2021 saw two teams go over the threshold, two, and none of them won the World Series. <laughs> okay. Teams are not using the tax salary situation, they're not taking it seriously at all. So, all of these AAVs can be, can be up and well, all of it, these contracts can be shorter. So, this, pro, this, this layout here is not impossible if you can get the owners on board. But you have to basically say, look, you're not doing it right. You're not using the system properly right now. This would force you to with the best players, and then you could trickle down from there with the middle class. But to me, they're abusing the system right now. They're not even coming close. What the Mets did with Max Scherzer is a godsend. It's exactly what we should be doing. Small, high impact, get him in, get him out, get your value out of him, and pay him a ton of money because he's worth it. Yeah, and and if we jump to him real quick now that you brought him up, I mean, in our system here, yeah. he was dead on. Looks with familiar, what he doesn't signed. it? <laughs> <laughs> so he, he in our system, he ended up at a three year, one hundred thirty two million with an AAV of around forty four anyway. So it, it it works out in in that favor. And I tried to match up these contracts as best as possible to what they signed. Max, I only did three, and then Cole, I made it sure it was nine. Um, let's talk Garrett so, Cole, because I think there's some people who would poo poo this process with Cole. I mean, the, the Soto one was kind of easy because you're starting at zero. You know, he has not yet gotten his contract, so you can kind of project however you need to. But I have, I, I, I tend to think Scott Boris would be perfectly on board with, you know, 15 years, 575 million. Don't you? Absolutely. Our point is don't take it all up front. Correct. Give yourself a chance to have flexibility, to have control, to get because, the hell out of Washington if you want to, you know what I mean? Right. And the the emphasis I'll add on top of what you just said there is these CBTs that I used were what the league came back and proposed. Right. Not even the players. So that and that's locking it in. They lock in the CBT, whereas in the NBA and the, the cap is calculated every year. So there are aspects where that cap could jump. Uh, you know, in these last few years, because of the pandemic, they at least smoothed it so that it was at least increasing a little bit each year. And then we're going to get into that money. They're hard saying what these CBTs are going to be over the next five years. So, you know, if they, even if they were able to help increase them and in the back end of some of these careers, I had to estimate an increase of the CBT. So, um, but can I ask you a question quick, Scott? Yeah. Uh, um, five current players and five current owners. Read our piece. Read this piece we just put together. Who likes it more? Can I say both? <laughs> I, I, I really think both. I think it's a win-win for either side. My initial from the standpoint reaction, of- Scott... I- I think that's a good answer, by the way. But my initial reaction would be that players would hate it because it seems like there's this preconditioned notion that any kind of structure or cap or telling me what to do is immediately thrown out the window. You know what I mean? Yeah, but I think it's hurting. If they actually read the piece and really dive into what could be and look at the NBA model, I, I think the overall consensus that they would come around to, all right, at least to start, 
it, it, it may impact some of the players that are already on rosters, but if we're looking long-term at a 10 to 15 year pace of the kids that are now coming up into the league, Juan Soto, who is eventually going to get into yeah. his extension anyways, or, you know, if we would have, had this system when Acuna signed or a- any of these guys that are signing their, their hundred million Mac uh, hundred year, hundred million dollar extensions over eight years or whatever it might be. I think in the long term, this will actually help player salaries because you know, there's going to be an increase. You know that there's a four or five year. The fact that you have, players re-signing every four or five years if they were on this maximum amount of years that could be signed if their production is at that level or higher that means those salaries are going to go up and again there's a lot of wiggle room with what is going on here we're saying that they could go up by five percent but it could be a one percent increase based off of that first year or two or whatever it might be so that's why we gave the range of what we could do with this system and they could go and, and and spawn it off on whatever they want. But I think the fact that the re-upping every four to five years of your, your superstars is going to push that level. I understand that the, the initial onset of it, you know, it, it may be that, well, in, in Garrett Cole's case, when we had to retroactively sign him back to 2020 in our system, He's starting off at, at just under 25 million, but by the end, he could be at 52. So the average is going to balance itself out in our system. But the, the fact that the salaries could increase over the length of the contracts is what has to ultimately be seen. Even if they went with a flat max, at least after four years, you know, if you're at that production level of a superstar you're jumping up X amount percent because of the structure in place. I'll get to Cole in a second because I do want to go through his process, which is different than the other two. The reason I said I think the players would hate it, I, I've told you, I, I think that they have this, this thought process that they, they have to, it's got to be as flexible as possible, which is, which is why I'm so confused. I, but also I understand that they, that they want to increase the CBT right now by $20 million. They want to go to 240 They want it to keep going up. They want up and up and up on the CBT. And I think we discussed it in the last pod, Scott. You're, you're increasing something that has no rules. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you are, you are getting a bigger bucket, but there's still no water at all going in the bucket. Yep. So it's not like they needed the bigger bucket because they're going to fill it up more. They're just gonna, there's just going to be a bigger bucket. The, that's it. So with this, and that has no effect. And, and, and but, to add to that, it has no effect on those teams at the bottom that don't spend no, anyway. Zilch. Right they, they, they're laughing at this process. They're, they're freaking in Hawaii napping right now. They're not even there. The, but with this process, this contract structure process, we're all gawking at $40 million AAVs and $60 million AAVs in 15 years. But that, absolutely requires the CBT to go up. It requires it. So if, base, if the Players Association is already there saying, we got to raise this CBT, then this conversation justifies that. The only reason to raise a CBT is because you want players making higher AAVs. You want 
bigger tax salaries and more tax. You want more players at 20 million plus. I get that. But like I said, there is no, there's no rule. There's no requirement. There's no incentive for owners to, to do this at all. The second we get back to baseball, no matter what that CBA looks like, in 2022, three and four, owners can go right back to where we, where we were. Right back. They're, I've read nothing that says that they, they have to change the way they spend money at all. At all. They'll have more opportunities to spend money, but they don't have to use them. But this structure forces it. Okay? This structure says, if you're a max player and you don't give me this exact number, I'm going to go find a team that'll do it. That's what it is. And and we, now the and whole, there will be now the whole public, but the whole public can get around it. We know that Juan Soto's five for one forty-five. He's going to be a hard max right now. He's one of the best players in baseball, one of the best hitters in the history of baseball already. Like that's his number. We all know that's his number. So if Washington comes forth and says, "Yeah, but we can only do five for one twenty-five right now because we got a bunch of pitchers we paid," everybody's going to crucify the Nationals because we know that they're twenty million less than the max. You understand what I'm saying? But if it's five for 125 and that's just thrown out there, similar to what the 13 for 350 was, you're going to have a big you know, a, a percentage of the population saying, who the hell turns down $350 million? Whereas if it was 350 but the max was 375 you understand what I'm saying? I do. Now the narrative is, no, no, you're lowballing that guy. That guy has to get maxed out. There's a huge advantage to the players to have a ceiling in this regard. Well, because it they, can turn the, 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 the whole process on the ownership immediately. It, it, and subsequently, it, it helps those teams at the bottom that may want to try to go after Juan Soto, but right now in this system, they have there, there's no way they could. Yeah. There's, they're not going to go 13 years for $350 million, whereas if they had a shot at a five-year, $132 million, yeah. they, they're more likely to throw an offer out there. And obviously, in our system, five years, a, a new team wouldn't be able to do five. They'd have to go four. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about Garrett Cole real okay. quick, Scott, because he changed teams. He was at Houston. He went to the New York Yankees. When an NBA player does that, right, when LeBron did that, similarly, uh, or uh, you know, a free agent leaves for a new team, the length of contract comes down from five to four. That's one of the concessions that is built in to try to keep teams together longer. You, if you stay with your own team, you get an extra year fully guaranteed. So we've adopted that for baseball, which I think is a good approach. Um, with that said, and I'd love your thoughts. Do you think it's a problem? Do you think baseball has a problem with too many good players leaving? Um, I just wonder if this is something it, that would isn't be... Isn't it the reverse? Isn't it the reverse? Because of the length of contract, yeah. they're, they're stuck. Yeah. Whereas in the NBA, we're, we're, we're talking about where Kevin Durant is going to go or where right. LeBron Bingo, is going to go two years Bingo. from now. So, so I think we talked about this when we were doing the piece, but I want to bring it up now too. In my opinion, Scott, I would wait on this condition. I'd phase to this. I'd make everything a five-year max, whether you leave or, or stay, we could change the percentage increase, maybe. Maybe you'd make a little bit more to stay. You get a 5% salary increase to stay, a 2% increase to go. Mm -hmm. But I don't think I want to, I don't think I want a slow movement right now in Major League Baseball because I think movement is really good for the league. It, it'd be really good if Bryce Harper left Philly. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. 
and and um, I apologize to Phillies fans. I would hate that if I was a fan, but it's just better. It's better. And we're talking a lot about social media and fan engagement. And a lot of people probably roll their eyes and say, players and owners don't give a rat's behind about that. But I think you're wrong. I think there's a real, there's a real narrative. There's a real momentum swing, especially in the dog days of this regular season, that you have to have some kind of thing you know, you know, to, to hang your hat on. And transactions do that. It's just a fact of life. Transactions well, the fact that, that if, if you had four-year contract or a five-year max, whatever it might be, if you're in the contract year, that is going to make those trade deadlines Bingo. even more impactful Bingo. because you know Bryce Harper, and again, we keep bringing him up, but if he was able to be, say he was in year three or four of the contract out of five, yeah. we'd be talking about him way more yeah. knowing that in a year or two he is... There's at least a possibility. <laughs> you know, whereas right now there's just no possibility. He's in year four of 13 or whatever the hell it is. You have to manufacture a rumor that Bryce Harper is going to be traded right now. Whereas you're right. If Correct. it was three quarters of the way through a five-year contract, but to my point, we, we did adopt the four-year contract for a player leaving and changing teams. In my opinion, Scott, I would, I would save that and, and only build that in if we feel like we have to, if we feel like okay. oh, everybody's just yep. jumping ship. Because I don't think it's a, a bad thing if they do, nor do I think it's going to become a thing. I think good players are going to stay with their own. That's not going to change in baseball. Right, and five, five is a, the maximum length. Yeah, so one more year. Even, even, even if they, they offered three years, I mean, we're not dealing with 10-year contracts anymore. That's the whole point. So, so Cole gets a four for 102 on our system versus what did he actually sign? Nine for 324. Right. So we start with a four-year contract, but his next contract that starts in 2024, right? So 2020 to 2023 is his current contract that we've adjusted for NBA purposes, which became four for 102. What happens in 2024 if he stays with the Yankees and extends out through the rest of his career? Yeah, because his years of service would be at 10. Bingo. He jumps up from the 12% that he originally signed all the way up to the 20% highest threshold in our system, which would be five years, $242 million. Which means a total compensation of nine years is? 345-ish million dollars. Okay. So he's gaining $25 million, $20 million here. That's what he's done. It's basically, but it's basically the same deal, right? It's nine for 345 versus nine for 324, but it's split into a four-year and a five-year contract. But, and again, like I said earlier, even if he went with the flat, the first four years, yeah. 24, 20, we'll call it $25 million. And then it jumps up after four years to 44. Again, instead of being flat for 36 right. across, you're at least jumping up average salary after four years. And, and if, if it was a flat contract, which I think would be pretty popular in baseball. So four, four for 100 with the Yankees' first contract, and then five for 220, his extension, that would be nine for 320 almost yeah. exactly what he's just signed. Right. So uh, these numbers aren't stupid and they're not crazy. And there's, there's a mathematical equation that, you know, can fit all these processes. But we look at the NBA, we look at major baseball, I think those are two completely separate apples and oranges, you know, situations. It makes no sense to meld it together. It took us three hours to put something with logic together, Scott. And, you know, like I said, it's not possible this ever comes to fruition, but the numbers, bear out that it should. Max Scherzer is on the correct contract. Okay. And we could have, we could have gone back to his Nats contract and I bet it would have looked a lot like the Garrett Cole situation 
which is if you flat flat you know flat salary him out, he's probably making the two hundred million he made with the Nationals. So I I just think there's rhyme and a reason. But more than anything, it's not even about the the money earned here. Yes, that's fun, and that's what we would be talking about in this structure. But to me, it's my point of the players versus the owners. You put immediate pressure, but also give them a, a, a hand to hold on to. You know what I mean? Like right now, it, it, who knows how, how Washington got the 13 years, 350 for Juan Soto? Who knows? You know what I mean? But if, if, the, if we knew that the max over five years was 150, now we all have something to look at. Now everybody knows what the, what, what the stakes are, what the, what the number is. I just think that's what this sport needs more than anything, is to get away from the rogue financial process and to reel it all in so that when we're sitting in the negotiation tables for these CBAs, everybody's on the same page. The reason they're so far apart is because the owners have absolutely nothing to, to bank on. There's, there's, there's nothing to hold on to here. The, the, owner, the, the players are saying, well, we need to throw this thing up to 240. And the owners are saying, why? We don't even use 200. Like, like we, we literally just built, the Braves just built and added at the trade deadline a whole new team in 2021, got to about 180-ish and, and won the freaking, you know, you, know what I'm, you know what I'm saying? Like, they, yeah. they, they don't have to say anything back because they're proving that the way that they're doing business is currently working for Major League Baseball. And, and, the players coming and, back and saying, okay, but we got to bump it up more. Without any of this, without any... It's got to be this way and this way and this way. And the contracts have to work like this and this and this. I, I don't understand how the players win here. I just don't. I, I don't they, they may, it may look like they win when the CBT goes up, but I don't know why the owners have to change a damn thing. And that's my final point. Right. The final point I'll say is having a, some structure in place is a win for the, from the fan side because the yeah. fans then understand and know and then you can have the conversation that, like in the NBA, that everyone else is having. Is that a max player? Oh, he is a max player. He is not a max player. It's gimmicky and, and then, it's fun. It, it, it's quirky. It's fun. And it gives, it gives it legs for the fans to stand on in, in having conversations. Like, otherwise, oh, I, you know, like you said, 13 for 350. Where did that come from? Did they just throw darts at a wall and see what it landed on? You know, at least fans would know. And then they can project their own team. They can say, oh, we could five for 150 really isn't bad in the short term. Let's go after him. And then you are getting that fan engagement back into the league where it has been declining. And it just, it, it's a, I feel like it's a. It could be in the long term a win-win-win situation from all angles, but I completely understand your uh, uh, steadfastness from the player side on the initial aspect. By the way, I uh, I have more homework for you. I want you to trademark hard max and get the t-shirts made. And I understand that that sounds dirty, and I don't care. Let's sell the t-shirts. <laughs> all right, because I think this is a thing. I think I, 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 I want 19 year old kids walking around with hard max t-shirts because they know that what's coming in, in five years in their uh, financial future. That's, that's, <laughs> that's my dream for major league baseball. Good stuff. Scott. All right. All right. Thanks. This was fun. All right. My thanks to Scott. My thanks to the athletic visit the athletic.com slash spot for 40% off your first year subscription. And of course, check out spot for franchise tag updates, plenty of NFL moves and what the hell is going on with Aaron Rodgers. for Scott Allen. My name is Mike Gennetti. Thanks for listening to this edition of the spot track podcast.